0: best thing to win the Masters, you, you will be here forever, as long as you are still alive. So that's the best thing. I'm very happy.
1: Welcome to episode 49 of the Talking Golf History Podcast. In 1982, W.P. Kinsella published a book by the name of Shoeless Joe, which seven years later would be adapted into a movie called Feel the Dreams. The story that we share today parallels that movie. Somewhere out there, in the corn belt of the Midwest, somewhere away from the glitz and sparkle of the big city, a man had a dream. If you build it, they will come. With that dream and the genius of Perry Maxwell, perhaps the only architect in history who worked on the trifecta of Cypress Point, Augusta National, and Pine Valley, this titan of the plains was built. This course, built in the sand hills of Kansas, predated its celebrated grandchild Sand Hills, which in its image held up the principles of minimalistic design. This is the history of Prairie Dunes Country Club. A bit of warning on the podcast you are about to listen to. Though I am nearly through my 50th episode, I am still prone to idiotic mistakes. During one of our early sound checks, in my colossal stupidity, I forgot to hit the record button on the digital recording device. Fortunately, we were lucky enough to have Von Halyard of Story Lounge Films filming this episode, so we were able to capture the audio in a mono file. The downside? With a mono file, it's nearly impossible for me to edit out the unwanted feedback or sounds without losing part of the interview. Because of this, the audio is easy to understand, but the background noise is a bit more noticeable. That being said, the interview with club historians Rusty Hilst and Jim Gilliland is delightfully entertaining as it is educational. If this interview doesn't make you laugh, frown, smile, and want to join Prairie Dunes, I don't know what will. So without further ado, let's jump right into the history of Perry Maxwell's gem Prairie Dunes. Today we have the pleasure of talking about one of the great historic golf courses in the United States. One of the hidden treasures, if you will, if you could be hidden when you're in the top 30 rankings in every golf magazine around, Prairie Dunes Country Club. And we're lucky enough to be joined by Rusty Hilst and Jim Gilliland. I got your name right, Jim. Well done. I'm very well proud on. of that. We were lucky enough to play the course today. I'm not going to lie. You know, you go into a place that's ranked top 30 and you go in with pretty high expectations. You don't expect to really be wowed, or I guess I don't. I mean, I've played places like Pine Valley and Oakmont and Seminole, and I was wowed. I mean, I was really—I was taken back. Uh, I, I was taken back by this rural setting, country club that feels like my hometown in Iowa, by the way. And come out here and find one of the greatest golf courses I've ever played. Let's start at the very beginning, if we can, Jim. Tell us a little bit about Emerson Carey, this this visionary for Kansas. Emerson Carey came to town
2: with, I think, a quarter in his pocket. There's a book that's been recently published about him, and absolutely was a visionary and an entrepreneur and started all sorts of businesses in Hutchinson, starting with a salt, evaporation mine, and then a mine, and then a coal plant. Or a coal distributorship, and an ice plant, a cemetery, a bag plant. One of those guys that just was into everything, and he liked to golf. He was a state senator, so he was influential in the state in those early years. And he had four sons that uh, were also uh, entrepreneurs and into golf. And one of them, W. D. P. Carey, his uh, third oldest son, uh, went to uh, Scotland, went to England on a Rhodes scholarship. He was from Cornell, and was a Rhodes Scholar, went to England, and they played some of the Scottish courses when they go over to visit him, and that's how they got the inspiration for a golf course kind of in the sand hills of Hutchinson, Reno County, Kansas. Unbelievable. And so,
1: like, everything he seemed to touch turned to gold. He had the Midas touch, he if you did.
2: will. And he did, and uh, he was one of those guys that was doing it all the time. But he did play golf. Played pretty well, we understand. His sons played it well. They were all good golfers, and his grandsons... Several of them were club champions and city champions during those years, so yeah.
1: So that he had kind of the the phone's touch, if you will, like the Oakmont phone's touch, like we deserve this great golf course for this town, we're going to go out and, and make it happen.
2: And that's what his two sons did, and that was How- or Emerson Carey Jr. called June, and then WDP Carey called Bill Carey, those two were the sons that were the originators of, of Prairie Dunes. Now walk me
1: through this, so... Think about it. This is 1937. We are in the heart of the Great Depression. I mean, there is, you know, people are scattered all over the country. He has this vision of building not just a golf course, right? He wants this world renowned golf course. How does he have the gall, if you will, in 1937 to make this happen? Actually,
2: it was in 1935, because that's when they started, that's when they contacted Perry Maxwell, who had designed a couple of courses. And they were familiar with him. He's from Oklahoma, so he's kind of in the local scene here. And they called him and wanted him to design a golf course. And they brought him up here, and they looked at land. And he looked at one piece of land that they thought might be good for it, and he didn't like it. And he came further east, about a mile and a half. And he said, this is where you want to build a golf course. And And they didn't
1: own that land at that time, right? Yeah.
2: They bought it that year, 1935, about three quarters. Uh, For $20 an acre. $20 an acre. Because it was nothing but sandhill pasture. All you could do with it was run cattle on it uh, because it was too hilly, too sandy to farm in any way. And so it was sandhill pasture. Wasteland, in essence.
1: Unbelievable, right?
2: Yeah, well, gosh, yes. That's vision right
1: there. $20 an acre, Great Depression, throwing out. After you've already picked out the land for the golf course, Perry Maxwell comes in and goes, no, gentlemen, we need this land over here.
0: That's exactly what
1: happened. So... Walk me through that. In 1935, he comes on. They, they find the right location for the course. They go about designing what is going to be this, one of the world's greatest golf courses. Help me understand this. Was it originally designed to be 18 holes, or was it always nine? What do, what do we think, Rusty?
0: I believe there was a routing for 18 holes. Jake Carey once told me he'd seen it, and Charles Craig, a former golf professional here, said he'd seen an 18-hole routing. Uh, I think finances dictated building nine
2: so they they built the first nine in 1937 and they were just the two brothers owned the property probably leased it or had some arrangement with a club of golfers in Hutchinson that started playing in 1937 and then they did not form a Prairie Dunes Country Club which is a corporation in other words selling the property selling the building the course to the members until nineteen fifty. And they had three hundred and fifty members in nineteen fifty. Sold it for ninety-two thousand dollars, including a clubhouse that they and had wow. for, for fifty-two thousand dollars was the insurance on yeah. the property. And the and the Kerry brothers took the mortgage themselves. That's the kind of yeah. entrepreneurs they were. That's fantastic, yeah. right? It's all for the good of the community.
1: I, I have a quote here from Perry Maxwell. It's around nineteen thirty-eight referring to the course. The unusual topography offered by the sand hills will make the prairie dunes course one of the most distinctive and unusual in the country. Rusty, maybe this is to you. What aspects of the course do you find distinctive and unusual? Might be a tough question, maybe not.
0: I'm going to start with the gunch, which is what we call the deep rough here. Captured if, a couple of
1: my balls. Today. Yeah, if
0: you are familiar with golf in Scotland and in various places, there's lots of places where the gunch is tall. There are very few places where the gunch is as thick yeah. as it is right now. And I think one of the challenges for this club in the years to come as the focus on golf courses becomes about let's have fun. It's going to be hot to make our deep rough a little bit more manageable. So yeah. that would be one thing. Yeah. Certainly the big sand dunes around here so many greens are set into yeah. sand dune backings it's gorgeous and man. you have to realize that when maxwell built this golf course he's doing it with horses and you know real rudimentary equipment so he was choosing some of the relatively flat areas because he didn't want have the ability to move huge quantities of sand and dirt uh, but the dunes The idea of building a golf course, really challenging, and the idea that you could have something really special in Hutchinson, Kansas, which was probably, Jim, I'd guess 40,000 people back in the 1930s, and it's still about (laughs) 40,000.
2: I think it was less than that, but you're right. It was a small town for sure, small town.
1: Yeah, I think what I admire the most when I read up on Perry Maxwell, specifically this course, is the minimalistic approach he took to design. Do you think that was more of his style, or do you think that came into, say, not just the finances, but just the practicality of building a golf course in the Great Depression?
2: Well, and Rusty said they used, they used horses and mules and, and pharaohs, which is nothing more than a sand drag, to build this course. And a lot of it was because it's fragile. I mean, you have to pack it down exactly right, or it's going to blow off. Mm-hmm. So that's what they made the dunes in the first place, was sand blowing. So they were careful to pack it exactly right. And the horses and mules' hooves were better packers than any machinery they had at the time. And that was intentionally done that way, intentionally done. So, yeah, the uniquity of the dunes and putting greens up in in front of and beside and into the dunes, was all unique, I understand, for 1937.
1: You know, last night I came in, and um, it was kind of late. It was maybe an hour before uh, the sun went down. I was lucky enough to, they let me borrow a cart. I didn't go play, I just wanted to see some of the holes. And I've never been here. So of course, I leave going down number eight and I'm thinking I'm I'm on one or 10, right? I'm like, I just, so then I get on eight and I get to the end of eight and I'm like, what's going on here? I'm like, there's no way it goes back to the clubhouse, one or 10 doesn't. So then I take that maintenance trail that goes up and end up over by five and now I'm completely lost, right? But one of the cool things about this course that I just love is when you look at that original routing, is how many times he comes back to the clubhouse. Like seven feels like nine. Seven feels
2: like eighteen. Not seven today. Sorry. Well, of course, the courses then were built for walking. Yeah. There was never, there weren't even pull carts. You used caddies or you carried and walked yourself. So the T's and greens are close together. You come back to the clubhouse every now and then for a drink or use the restroom. I mean, that was part of the design
1: part, yeah. Rusty, I mean, you're seven-time or eight-time club champion. You have how's to have a heck
0: of a about? memory to <laughs> remember that it was so long ago. <laughs>
1: right? So tell us about playing the course. So let's just let's stick with, before we get into press's work, let's just stick with Perry's holes, the original nine. What As a player, as, a, as an accomplished player, what do you take away from those original nine?
0: obviously the greens on the original nine i think are a little bit more severe than the greens on the second nine and of course the second nine is commingled among the first nine holes that's that were the amazing built. part when you're yeah.
1: playing it it is it's a mosaic is that fair to say it's a mosaic yeah. it's of almost seamless press. yeah
0: it really is and the focus is so totally on hitting it straight and then having marvelous touch around the greens uh, Bill Coor did some work for us about 30, 35 years ago, and he said this course might have the best green complexes of anywhere in the world. If you play it day after day, and I've played it a lot of times over the years, you never get tired of it. And you you keep thinking, have I really had this putt before? This seems, Yeah, so you're seeing seems new seems things. New. You're yeah. still seeing new things after all these years. And then another thing that makes the course so great is the wind can blow 30 miles an hour out of the south one day and turn around and blow 30 from the opposite direction did you
1: say great or mean well
0: it's (laughs) both but
2: part of the challenge absolutely you know
0: i can remember or as a younger player good young player playing five one day and hitting a driver wedge with a north wind and turning around the next day hitting a driver and a 3 wood and a wedge it can make that much difference and the penalty for hitting it crooked here is pretty significant. Yeah,
1: it is. You know, the other takeaway, and, and maybe this is unfair, but I feel like when you're playing down uh, Perry's nine, not always, but there's a lot of times the way he uses the use of the fairways, and I ca- almost call them like ripples. There's like a ripple effect in those fairways. That, that Press doesn't seem to use as much. Is that fair? And he doesn't use it on every hole, but...
0: You know, it's almost like you're looking out over an ocean, only it's green, and you've got waves coming Absolutely. in. Absolutely. And that's just the big rolls in the fairways. Yeah. And you do not get on those original holes very many lies that are perfectly level. Balls always above your feet or below it? Yeah, or,
1: yeah. always on an uneven lie. It's interesting that a long hitter and a medium hitter That eighth hole is almost, it's a real equalizer because the way it's set up, you're hitting, the long hitter is hitting it into the hill where the the shorter hitter has the ability to catch it and get a little bit of roll. And instead of being 20 yards difference, there might be 10. Instead of being 50, it might be 20. I, I find that fascinating on that hole.
0: One of the challenges here is preserving the shot values that Maxwell wanted us to have. The golf ball is probably maybe 100 yards longer yeah. off a of tee shot now than when the golf course was designed. So Prairie Dunes has had to build a number of new tees. We continue to do that to keep the golf course relevant in this day and age. Well, one of the characteristics that we look for in an architect to come in and do that is when they leave, having built a new tee or something, we don't we don't want it to look like they've been here. And I think We've done a really good job of preserving those shot values and making the tees and the topography look natural.
1: I agree. Let me ask you an unfair question. Uh, Unchecked, assuming that we still see these increased bumps in golf ball distance, how much can prairie dunes be stretched from where it is now? I mean, it's 37. Yeah. We're about done. I mean, I saw maybe a couple spots without moving some serious dirt
0: to make it happen. The club owns a lot of property around here, but it would not be easy to lengthen necessarily the holes that you would want to lengthen. Prairie Dunes holds its own against the long ball because of the greens. The greens are small and the greens have big roll-offs and drop-offs, false fronts and so forth. So the effective Green size is probably maybe 3,000 square feet. I mean, so they're, they're yeah. bigger than that, but uh, I'm sure you saw plenty of balls land on the green and roll off. Didn't last long.
1: Yeah. And, and the other part too is what I find fascinating about the greens is I, I believe they're running about a 10, which is just about perfect for this course. You would not want it to go too much faster because your green, usable green space really even shrinks beyond that. I had a couple 10 footers today that had three and a half percent of break which I, I'm from, I have a Donald Ross course. It's the oldest, oldest golf course in Florida. And I don't think we have a green that has 2% other than a false front. And this is like the middle of the green in a pinnable location. And it speaks to that. It speaks to that.
0: We were talking about the fact that when you say the green speed is 10 or 10.5 10 on a step meter, it really doesn't mean anything here because you can't find... A flat spot There's on no these greens line. you're either putting uphill where the green speed is six and a half maybe seven on a stem meter or downhill where it's perhaps Infinity. as much as <laughs> perhaps <laughs> literally as much as 15 or 18 sure. coming down some of those slopes for example on hole number two
2: and as we mentioned, the great equalizer here usually is the wind and the grunge, the run. The, the grunge, Long yeah. hitter, if they can't hit it straight, they're, they're not going to score
1: well. That did not happen to me today at all. <laughs> you did not capture four of my golf balls today. I'm just
0: going to tell you. Those happen. aren't mine. Those
2: four? Those,
1: those aren't, four aren't mine. Are, those aren't mine. mine
0: they I no longer put my names on mine because I don't want people to know where <laughs> That's I hit right.
1: Here's a phone number. <laughs> Call me and we'll, you can return it. Um, you mentioned um, looking at the 8th fairway as looking into a vast ocean. I, I, I found this quote, or it's, it's more paraphrasing than a quote, but um, Johnny Dawson in 1938 was a decorated amateur golfer in Chicago who sang the praises of Prairie Dunes. And he said that uh, Prairie Dunes, that there wasn't a golf course in the United States like Prairie Dunes. He went on to say that it resembled the seaside links of Scotland and England. Now, I want people to take this in, because I, I think that's a very important distinction. This is 1937 this is really at the tail end of the golden age of golf course architecture. And Johnny Dawson, who saw it all, is saying two things. One is these greens, this course, it has not been seen on this side of the Atlantic. And the second part is its resemblance of a British seaside links. Jump into that. Like, how do you see that playing out as as the historian and the golfer, how do you how do you feel about those two quotes, and, and are
2: they still relatable today? Well, the fact that you know the people who bought the land and understood what a Scottish course should look like uh, were convinced that this is the place to build that. It's because of the sand dunes and the contour
0: of the land. So
2: yeah, it's it's held true to that. We we hold that to be invaluable truths for the course.
0: Strictly speaking. I think if you're going to call something a Lynx golf course, there has to be a big body of water somewhere nearby. <laughs> you near, get rain? Nearby. Yeah. Uh, you have a drainage pond. I would say that in, with the original nine holes, irrigation was much more primitive than it is now. Oh, yeah. Sure. The fairways were rock hard, Bermuda. That The golf course probably played more like a Lynx in the 30s than it does now interestingly in the 30s there were very few trees out here now there are a lot I think of trees said, i
1: have a quote that actually says zero trees yeah. which is
0: amazing there are a lot of trees that have grown up we have removed a lot of trees yeah and i think every time we've taken a tree out it's made the golf course better yeah uh, one of the interesting things that we're considering now we're looking at the possibility possibility only of regrassing the fairway and the the impetus changing for this, the grass is that what you mean? Changing yeah. the grass, and the impetus for this is to make the golf course play hard yes. and fast. Yes, which is difficult to do with the grasses we have and the Kansas heat in and the, the summer heat. Yeah, so I think if that happens, it's going to be even more like a Lynx course than it has been in recent years. So
1: there was a period where you were Bermuda, and you switched to rye. Walk us through that transition. How did that come about, Rusty?
0: Well, the Bermuda that you're talking about was common Bermuda, which nobody wants in their lawns and nobody wants on their golf courses anymore. So getting rid of Bermuda was a pretty natural thing to do. We changed golf course superintendents in 1980, brought in a man named Doug Peterson. And Doug came in and basically got the golf course back to where it was really a championship golf course and he he needed some instant results so he used ryegrass in places and he said you know i think i can grow ryegrass in the summertime in kansas mm-hmm. well nobody else thought they could well he did yeah and our membership got to the point where they really liked it because it was cut down short it was green it's right green up until the time. yeah right up until mm-hmm. december and greened up early in the year so ryegrass kind of stuck around, but it has some disadvantages, too. In uh, July and August, it thins out. Uh, divots don't fill in very sure. quickly.
1: Uh, and it so, plays a little
0: softer. Yeah, That's and fair, you have, right? and, you have to, and you have to put water on it, and it takes a pretty good amount of chemicals to keep it going. So yeah. those are some of the reasons that we're looking at perhaps yeah. making a change. So would you like let me
1: just ask you and this is a vague question i just and it's an opinion question or maybe it's to both of you would you prefer to bring it back to the hard and fast playing characteristics of days of old
2: I, i'm not that sophisticated i just think it's a beautiful course I it's like a beautiful
1: to play. course zero I, like that, to yeah. play it.
2: I, I get pretty good roll which you don't get on bermuda if it sucks it up it's pretty yeah good but pretty good roll which helps a golfer of my style for sure rusty what do you
0: think I was skeptical at first when we started talking about it, but I think I'm 100% on board right now for changing back. Uh, I might respectfully disagree a little bit with Jim. I think you'll get a lot of roll with really? Bermuda in the oh, summertime.
1: Yeah. yeah, if you cut it down, you could putt you'll from get a, the fairway yeah, and get it up on that green. You'll yeah. get Which a lot be amazing, of roll. It's amazing, right?
0: And what I like is the fact that with Bermuda – we can get the green. I mean, we can get the greens dried up. We can make those fairways hard. I would like to be able to get the greens firm, to where if you're hitting out yeah. of the rough, the ball doesn't want to stay on the green. If you're hitting from you the fairway, you like, hear
1: that kind of like shallow sound when the ball hits, like that clump. echo. Yeah.
0: Now I realize that I might be in a minority. Rusty's there,
1: mean. But. He's a mean golfer. You can, He's a club <laughs> he's champs. He's club purist, champs yeah. are the folks that want that. By the way. Rusty, if we could rewind a little bit, if we look back at that transition period in grasses, um, where we were playing hard and fast, we're going to more lush green, uh, we're in a period of golf now where we're seeing places like Sand Valley, really British links, right, Scottish links, where wide open corridors, bump and runs, running up the bay, we we'll be able to f- basically putt it from 100 yards out. Walk us through how that might play out here at Prairie Dunes?
0: Well, I'm not sure I understand your question.
1: How do people feel, how do the membership feel about transitioning from like that rye grass, that softer, greener grass, to more of a hard, firm grass that you might see in Sand Valley or the Scottish Lynx? Are you getting any feedback from the membership as to how that might play out?
0: I would never presume to speak for the membership. I've, I've learned fair. from experience that fair. doesn't work very really yeah, well. Fair. But it's going to be a selling process yeah. people are going to have to be convinced that this is the right way to go uh, they're going to have to be convinced that the appearance of bermuda grass compared to ryegrass is satisfying enough to make it worth the change uh, it's not something that the club's going to jump into quickly yeah. we have half a dozen test plots growing right now where members can see the bermuda right alongside the rye nice and i think some of the members that are skeptical when they see that they say you know that looks pretty good, doggone good and bermuda supports a golf ball amazingly well it a does ball, yeah ball will sit on top of bermuda and uh, you know it's it's going to be a selling process it's not something that anybody's going to try to force on anybody else yeah. uh, but if is you're it? asking me personally, I've come up about 180 degrees. Yeah. I, I think it's the way to go.
1: This is a little bit of the internal question more than anything, but that process of approving a change, if that were to happen, is that something that needs to go to a vote of all the membership, or is that kind of a committee?
2: Well, I think if you were going to redo the whole course, it would be a... Uh, certainly be a discussion of uh, change that everybody should endorse now keep in mind as i think you're aware we we have a lot of national members now yeah that it's amazing play, that come in and play from all over the country so our local members aren't near as knowledgeable of course changes or grass changes or philosophies of golf changes as the national members would be and hard, change is hard for yeah. local people, you know it's just difficult. They're used to this and they've, they've enjoyed it. so
1: local people hard. have a gem. They, do they know that I wonder this, do
2: they this local person does
1: Yeah, but I mean overall your your average member who lives in Hutchinson lived in Hutchinson their whole life. Do they know how good they really have it?
2: We take it for granted, although I've told you earlier that oftentimes you'll travel to other places and you'll think, this is going to cost me $350 to play this course. When I can play Prairie Dunes at home, twice, three times a week for not near that. Yeah.
1: Well, I told you the story. I ran into a member here as I was going into lunch, and uh, we just started talking about you know having a video. We are going to do a podcast on this. And I, I just asked him, I was like, well, you know, what do you think of Prairie Dunes? And he goes, you know, I travel all over the United States. And I pretty much refused to play golf anywhere other than Prairie Dunes. I said, anywhere? And he said, I just took a trip to Scotland with my son and had zero interest in playing golf because why would I play golf there? I've got Prairie Dunes. That's saying a lot. Maybe too much. That's (laughs) appreciated. Maybe too much.
0: But I think we also have a small cadre of members that the only golf they play is right here. Oh, yeah. Sure. And they tend to assume that everywhere that you play golf is – Pretty close to, like, prairie dunes. Oh, wow. <laughs> that is, yeah, no, they're you wrong. couldn't be farther from the truth. We should
1: pull those people in right now, and we'll just sit them down and talk a little bit. <laughs> so, missing. I'm looking through, you know, as I research uh, for this show, I'm looking through all of these these historical articles magazines and magazines and newspapers. I can't not help but look at the comparisons between prairie dunes and sand hills yeah like it, both are in rural locations granted sand hills is like rural of rural both are in rural locations both are ranked in the top you know 30 both have a minimalistic design yes um, both of them as a matter of fact i think i told you this earlier the very first article i found literally says sand hills golf course to be designed in hutchinson I mean, you stole the name. You had it first. You guys let it go. But I think the other thing, too, is there's another um, quote, a famous quote uh, by Perry Maxwell, that I think Korn Crenshaw pretty much said similar things. Is, there are 118 holes out here. All I have to do is eliminate 100. That's
0: exactly right.
1: And Korn Crenshaw had something very similar. They have a star map. I don't know if you've been to San Hills. There's a star map of all the holes that they found for that course, and it was a matter of finding the best 18. How do you feel about that comparison? I mean, they're different, there's zero doubt, but well, there's here's something, something to that.
0: that you may not know. Coor and Crenshaw were here doing work for us on this golf course in 1985. They left here and immediately went to Nebraska and started work on Sand Hills. I did so not know that. That project started right after they had been here. As a matter of fact, they tried to hire our golf course superintendent at that time to. <laughs> help the grow in phase of building sand hills so
1: so so do you think the inspiration flowed through have you heard it from them by chance
0: well i can i can remember ben crenshaw saying to me we've got a site in nebraska that might rival this that was a comment that he made um he tried to talk me into becoming an original member at the Sand Hills, and I said, Look, I'm a school teacher. <laughs> Take one zero off the initiation fee and come back and talk to
2: me. That's right. I but, like that. I like but the, that. But the philosophy they have up there of just pure golf, plain and simple, comfortable, laid back, no ost- ostentatious yes. nation or in the clubhouse or anywhere on the course, it's just all uh, no signage, no ball washing, just all simple golf, just very natural.
1: You know, you say that kind of leads into something else before we get into press Maxwell. But um, one of the most amazing things about coming out here for me, uh, I've been very fortunate to play a lot of the top 100 golf courses, a lot of top 30. And this course is special. I mean, it's special in a sense that, forget the fact that it's one of the greatest golf courses I've ever played, bar none. There's something special I think in the rural nature of this course, even beyond Sand Hills, because it was designed for your citizens. Yep. You know, It wasn't built to be a national right. membership like right. Sand Hills. You, you Nothing against in. it, I love Sand Hills, love it. But there's something about it, you, know, you play National Golf Links or Augusta National or Pine Valley or Oakmont. This course is an extremely accessible membership for people to join versus some of the other golf courses out there that are quite exclusive, yet of the same pedigree.
2: Prior to establishing the National Member Program, our biggest draw here was our families with the swimming pool and the tennis and the golf. We had to be a full-service country club to attract members, families, kids, to, to make it successful in a community our size. And then, you know, as things have changed and the National Member has helped us a lot, maintain our course with the money that's brought in from players that come from other places and enjoy it a lot Yeah. but the family atmosphere was really what kept us alive more often than, than just the golf the,
1: the funny thing you bring up the family uh, atmosphere, I, I think I mentioned this earlier, um, you know as I was researching for this podcast I went through maybe every published Hutchinson newspaper from 1935 to like 1957 <laughs> And what is just so charming is that it's so unassuming. It's, you know, it's um, the Careys are hosting a steak dinner at the club. Come out on Friday night. I mean, it's, it's like something you'd expect. That was a like a long time ago. Right, 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 yeah. right. I mean, that's 1938, 39, I think I read that. And it's just or the women's championship and here are the results and yep. you know Miss Smith had a great nine and you know shot her best score of 52 or it's just so charming
2: small town yeah
1: That's it's true. so I mean you just don't see that
2: well and we've had a junior membership program for a long time that has encouraged young families that can't afford a lot to to become members and start paying on an annual basis into their their annual their their membership fee so that they've accumulated over ten years or so. yeah been very successful.
0: Affordability is one of the reasons Huge part. this is such a special place. In fact, our national members can't believe that you can belong here for what they pay. Yeah. Uh, they're used to belonging to clubs where you get up into the high five digits for an initiation fee or maybe even into the six digit category. Uh, a place where they played the US Open this year, I think the initiation fee is $200,000. Well, you could buy, I'm going to do some real quick math, about 15 or 16 memberships here for that $200,000.
1: I think two points to that. Uh, Your new general manager just was hired, I think, a year ago, Jay. Um, One of the really great things that he said when I spoke to him, I think it was on the phone when I was driving in, was one of the most charming things about Prairie Dunes is you go into the card room at the end of the day, and you see two Fortune 500 CEOs playing golf with he didn't say this part but you know the butcher the baker and the candlestick maker right i mean and they're all just having a great time they're all equals because they're all golfers or the school teacher or the school teacher (laughs) i like
2: that the math teacher
1: that's right so tell me let's rewind a little bit so when when did the national program kick off do we know 20 years ago is it that
2: probably 20 years
1: ago. yeah i think that'd be close and what what do you think sparred that idea
2: well the the economics of trying to maintain this place. Hutchinson hasn't grown. We've been 40,000 for 40 years. And we've lost a lot. At least. At least. And we've lost a lot of our executive base, you know, like small towns our size. Corporate headquarters have moved to the larger cities. and Manufacturing is no longer. Yeah. So a lot of our industry has changed a lot. So just out of necessity, we've expanded that membership but it's worked very well and you know we've accommodated that we built the lodges here which are very nice They're and gorgeous. Really yeah. enjoy that. they really are and again a lot of people that come in enjoy the atmosphere the laid back atmosphere you're here to play golf you're not going to the strip and gamble you're not going right. to night shows you're not going to you're not carousing around you're, you're staying on property you're playing golf that's what it's about
0: I think another thing that happened and again it's an economic issue but as Prairie Dunes in, through the 1980s started to really be recognized as something special uh, then all of a sudden the membership started taking a good serious look at our golf course and say you know maybe we need to do some things to make it even more special and so it became yeah. more Im- more important certainly more costly to maintain the golf course the way we think people expect it to be maintained. Yeah, so it's
2: been very successful and we'll continue to do it because Hutchinson hasn't grown and won't grow a whole lot more, we don't think. So.
0: Yeah, give me an idea from the,
1: the people who live in Hutchinson, maybe they aren't even members. How do they view Prairie Dunes? Is it a, a welcome it's, partner in the community?
2: If any piece of promotional literature see, you see for the town, Prairie Dunes will be one of the top three attractions obviously. Yeah. I mean, we have a Cosmosphere Space Museum, we have a Salt Museum, an underground salt museum, and then we have Prairie Dunes and uh, it's Touted as one of the nation attractions, for sure. That's fantastic.
1: All right, let's 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 fast forward 20 years. We're, we were 1937. We're jumping to 1957. Right. What kicked off the expansion of nine more holes?
2: Well, again, the, the membership owned the course since 1950. And I think 350 memberships were sold with the initial batch. And then they started a little housing development over here on the on the back nine, as we call it. And so, uh, we needed more course. <laughs> Rusty, you probably speak to that. Why it was time to go eighteen.
0: Well, I wasn't a member then, well, but was...
2: uh, ouch! Jim.
0: Contrary to that, <laughs> I, I did join Prairie Dunes in this century. Yeah, <laughs> but I think that was a big part of it. Yeah, and then the realization: if you're really a championship golf course, you need to be an eighteen-hole golf course, and. The members got behind it and real yeah. quickly brought the Trans-Mississippi here in 1958. And uh, certainly one. things yeah. were helped a great deal when a big fat guy from Columbus, Ohio that nobody would ever heard of yeah. came in and yeah. won the Trans-Mississippi. And Jim correctly pointed out that was Nicholas. Yeah. Uh,
1: so, so it kind of starts for Jack Nicholas about the time you're starting your 18 he, holes. He for, was a
2: plump. What
0: was he, 22 years old? He was 18. Oh nobody knew who he was. But if you watched him, you knew he was going to be somebody special because he hit it a long ways.
1: Yeah. That's amazing. So, the decision to hire Press Maxwell, was there ever a debate as to who should come in to design the other nine holes, or was it a given?
2: Good question. I'm not sure I can answer that. Same same family, same philosophies, I think. So, do you, do you have it. It's
1: probably a safe that? bet.
0: I would guess, and that's all it is, that. That was pretty much predetermined. We're going to get pressed to bring in and finish the project that his father started.
1: And there's rumors or, or, you know, there have been rumors that when Perry came out, came out here the original time and and he designed the course that he may have designed the 18 hole routing that you have today. Is that fair statement or is it is it just really unknown?
0: I was on a trip with Jake Carey Mm -hmm. and Jake said, yes. He did do an eighteen-hole routing. Yeah, but nobody can find it. Well,
1: so. there's there was another story from a podcast we did uh, with um, back then Green Jacket Auctions, and they were telling the story of uh, this this lady who bought uh, Perry Maxwell's house. Do you know the story? It's uh, it's horrible, by the way. It's a horrible story. Oh. <laughs> so um, she bought the house and was going through and renovating it, and went up into the attic and found all these plans for the golf courses that Perry Maxwell had designed and she threw them in the dump oh, no. and the only reason I think two might have escaped the incinerator and, it was, and the reason was she found the 1934 Augusta National Invitation Program and she thought it was a replica which is worth $200 so she reached out to then Green Jacket Auctions about putting it in the auction they realized it was an original it's worth tens of thousands of dollars And I think she said, oh, I might have some things here that are worth of value. And in that process, tells the story of throwing away all of these routing plans. And I'm afraid to say yours might have been in it. probably was. I'm so sorry. probably was. Isn't that a tragedy? It is. Oh. Yeah. One of the things to to bring up here is years later, she sells the house for $20,000, which might have been worth less than that program she sold in auction. So, God bless her. She might not have always made great decisions in her life. I hope she's doing well. That's, I wish her the best. But it's painful to hear that. You know, Rusty, you've been a part of a lot of the championships here. You've seen, have you seen every championship that's been played at Prairie Dunes?
0: I have either been a part of, as a committee member or as a spectator, everything since the Trans-Mississippi in 1958.
1: You must have some interesting stories from those championships. Do you have any good stories that you can share that are, would, may pique some interest?
0: Yeah, there are lots of them, and I'm not going to bore you with all of them, but I'll tell you I one. I literally
1: get bored by nothing.
0: <laughs> I will tell you one that goes back to the 1964 United States Golf Association Women's Amateur, which was the first USGA event ever played at this golf course. And it was won by a lady named Barbara McIntyre. But she beat Joanne Gunderson-Carner. Then it was Joanne Carner, who was a, a big lady from the northwest part of the country, who subsequently went out on the ladies' golf tour and became known as Big Mama and won yeah, all yeah. kinds of championships. She played
1: at Chicago Golf Club, what, two years ago, yeah. two years ago.
0: But they're playing in the finals at Prairie Dunes, and Joe Dye, who was the The rules guru anywhere in the world at the time was the referee in this championship match. And they get over to number eight, and Joanne hits her second shot left of the green in the gunch. And when I say gunch, I'm talking about tall grass. She hit it into an area where the grass was probably at a minimum 12 to 18 inches deep. Well, they found her golf ball, and she played the shot out of the rough. And two balls came flying out and went on the green. Both one of them, hopefully hers. One of them was hers. Yeah. One of them was at a wrong ball. Both of them wound up on the green. For the
1: record, that other ball was not mine.
0: <laughs> Barbara McIntyre Barbara said, I claim the hole because you hit a wrong ball. Wow. Joanne said, wait a minute. I also hit my ball. Joe Dye, who knows everything there is to know about the rules of golf, is a referee, and there's nothing in the rules of golf to cover. Back then, yeah. They spent, I'm going to say, at least 15 minutes on that green trying to figure out what to do. And finally, Joe Dye made what I believe was the right decision and said, in the interests of fairness, Joanne hit her golf ball, and the other was just happened along with it. Well that subsequent to that situation became a decision in rules of golf, and I'm convinced it happened right here at Prairie Dunes to in nineteen sixty four. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's a fascinating story. I, I like how she just claimed the hole. You <laughs> claim that's mine. Uh, let's just go to the next hole. Yeah. Gutsy call. Run right? roll here. Run roll here.
0: <laughs> I think it's fascinating that an expert. And, I mean nobody in the world knew more about the rules of golf than Joe Dye. Yeah. All of a sudden he's put on a spot. Stumped. And I it. think he made a great call.
1: Yeah. And, and and that's funny, that there wasn't a rule, so he used the best judgment, which was what is the fairest thing to do. The fairest thing is she did hit her ball. She just happened to hit another ball in the process. That's great. That's and that happened right here. Right on eight?
0: Happened on hole number eight in nineteen sixty four.
1: And who won?
0: The match was won by Barbara McIntyre. And I remember another, I'll tell you one more story. You tell me as many as you like. A short one. Yeah. It came down, they're playing the 16th hole. It was a 36 hole final. So they're playing what would be the 34th hole. And Joanne had to make a 10 foot putt to to extend the match. And she lined it up and lined it up, and then looked at the gallery and said, "Anybody here think they can make this putt?" Oh, said, that's okay. I don't think I can make it either. And <laughs> so she, she hasn't changed. <laughs> and she didn't. Yeah, she has
1: not changed all these years later, right? Yeah. And she didn't make it.
0: No, she didn't make
1: it. That's crazy. Let's get back to Prairie Dunes. It is ranked as one of the best golf courses by Perry Maxwell by anybody. To you two, what makes it so great? what stands out to you as this is different this is
2: better this is the best to me not being as near as good a golfer as rusty and not having played near as long as he has it's just the beauty of it and the fact that it is so understated that you can be so comfortable and casual here uh, and it's not you know going to make you feel any less because you're not a great golfer it's you you can play the forward tees play the, the silver tees and really enjoy enjoy the course just gorgeous and the evenings out here are fantastic you saw it last they night are, as you're down are. toward the sun as the sun goes down absolutely long shadows is fantastic and then in the fall as the colors even change more those that gunch that rough will be gold and yellow and there'll be some reds in it it's just fantastic
1: yeah i mean it's hard to hate the gunch when it's so beautiful to look at
2: And what's amazing, you know, that stuff was all burned down to nothing. It was like this table in April. Now, now, why didn't anybody invite me in April? I would have shot like a course record out here. (laughs) It's hard to hate the guns, but
1: the gunch hates you. The gunch hates
2: you. Yeah, well, it's just phenomenal to see that growth. And I mean, it's a it's a biological biological experience to see how fast that grass grows because it's six. It's some of it's your. Oh, it's
0: yeah, it's player. it's massive. What's really fun to watch is golfers playing the golf course while they're burning the gunch down. I mean, you've got yes. you've got flames twenty feet in the air, and people just playing through the smoke. Yeah. Prairie dunes on fire—it's no going? big
2: deal. We'll play through. Happens every spring.
0: I would say, in answer to your question, after you've played Prairie Dunes, and you're sitting around maybe having a drink, you can remember just about every hole, You really all 18 holes. And yeah. I don't think very many golf courses you can say that. I think Prairie Dunes has a couple of holes that are not quite on a level with some of the others, but I don't think there's a bad hole on the golf course. And I don't think there is any part of Prairie Dunes that's weak. I think it's all pretty doggone good. Uh, those would be the reasons I would say it. I think it deserves its rating. I probably haven't played as many of the top 30 golf courses as you have, but I've played a lot of them. Yeah. And the, of all of them that I've played, which includes probably eight of the top ten, Yeah. the only one that I think that I might enjoy playing as much on a day-to-day basis, as this one is Cypress Point.
1: Yeah, yeah, Cypress Point is I, one of my favorites as well. And it's not really a fair battle. It's right on the water, yeah. right? It has all that coastal view, has beautiful holes. I, I always tell people the inland holes are just as beautiful as the one on the water.
0: When you come down number seven, the par five, and you look at all of that stuff, busy stuff behind the green, all the bunkering and so forth, yeah. I can imagine Cypress Point. Only difference being all of that sand would be white at Cypress, and here it's yeah. native colored. But yeah. it's the same look.
1: Absolutely. And then Perry Maxwell considered this the greatest golf course he ever built. I mean, that says a lot. He built some amazing golf courses. But to your point, I have a question. This one's a hard one. So I got this one from a quote from an article. I think it was like 1948, somewhere around there. Uh, Prairie Dunes was once described. I want to make sure I have it right. There are no trees at all, only sage grass in the fairways. But Prairie Dunes is an admirable course because of its small, sand-blown fairways. So my question to you is, there aren't a lot of trees out here, but there are trees my question is, should there be any?
2: Did I just get thrown out? Am I, do I have to leave? Interesting that the membership has discussed that many times. <laughs> sure. And every time we take down a big cottonwood tree that's been here for 80 years and has a trunk that's about three three foot through the center in a diameter, it, it upsets membership because trees were sacred things. And sure. The prairie had no trees. but. The, the authenticity of the course is it was not treed in any way. It was all open, open at ground for sure. Rusty?
1: Rusty's coming in hard on this one. I'm Good not a it. great
0: fan of trees yeah. on this kind of a golf course. I'm also not an advocate of let's go cut down trees to be cutting down trees. Sure. But I think it's interesting that given that description in the very early years of Prairie Dunes, that when you get to hole number 12, so, You've got a great big huge cottonwood on the right side of the fairway. Yes, that makes the hole. It wasn't part. Yeah, it wasn't part of the original design. No, but it's there now, and it's made the hole better. Now, personally, I think that one limb that sticks out. That could you <laughs> call it Vaughn's limb? I have another name for it, but we can't use it today. Yeah.
2: Well, and there was a lower limb that stuck out. No way. When there was had, another one? Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's been gone 15 years Yeah. Ago, there was, was, was a done. lower limb. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Rusty, it, you're going to be famous as hell for that
1: right there. Really? I know, right? <laughs> take that limb down. <laughs> take that limb down. He loves it. Keep the limb. It's, it's Rusty's tree. limb. It's,
0: it's nothing I haven't said to the Greens Committee. <laughs> no, he said keep the
1: tree, but take down the limb. Oh, yeah. keep down the Yeah. Rusty, I, I don't know. Vaughn wants to keep that limb. I'm pretty sure. No. <laughs> every, no, no, no. every time we come up He's like That damn no, limb that no, no, da- no, no,
2: no, turns What happened
1: Connor's full of shit right now Oh <laughs> look at you Look at you You did the piece What are you doing What's wrong with your brain um, No I think that's great I, I think That is an unusual aspect though That, that limb that sticks out If
0: you out. go to the tip Of that limb That juts out Right And go Drop a line Right straight down To the fairway If you don't have The clubbed speed To be able to get up Over the top of that tree Yeah You've got about eight to ten yards of fairway to fit your tee shot in to have an opening. Yeah, outside. or
1: hit a punch, right, and then run the run the risk of what it's going to do on the ground.
0: Is the only one at yeah. Curry Dunes that slopes away from you. Yeah. Yes, so that's not really conducive to running the ball. Yeah, it's a turtleback green. green for sure. Yeah. It's gorgeous. would right,
2: were, were those trees there? When Press designed that hole, did he design those as goalposts? What, what is your sense of those?
0: I really can't tell you because I don't know. I wasn't a member then.
2: The trees on 14 and 15, you know, 15, 14 green, that, that was a grove. That, that was there. But the, the tree next to 12,
0: I'm not sure. I don't, I don't think it was there. Or if it was there, it wasn't tall enough to no, be a problem.
1: Yeah. yeah. Rusty, you had a great story when we were sitting in for lunch about you had a chance to meet Press Maxwell. And you had and a bunch of members had the chance to ask him why did you do certain things. Maybe if you could tell that story. He was later on in his years and probably wanted to be a little bit more agreeable, but tell he, that story.
0: He still has relatives living, I'm sure. <laughs> but we brought we were on the Greens Committee and we brought him in to look at some of the at least to the members more controversial aspects of prairie dunes and to find out why they were built there and whether it was worth considering changing them one of which was the big mound in front of the 11th green that diverts shots right and left that come rolling into that green and uh, the other one that we talked about specifically was the big runoff to the right side off the 12th green and we asked press why'd you do that and he said i have no idea why we did that
1: (laughs) they answer every question that like yeah i mean i have no it was, idea it, was,
0: it
2: does that i, I love that I i'm love happy
0: that. i'm happy i had the opportunity to meet press yeah he was a nice gentleman yeah but he didn't have any answers well, to our <laughs> questions
2: there's nothing against
1: it i mean he was older he was older in age then right and he just yeah. i don't maybe he didn't want to pick a fight or maybe yeah. the members you know kind of pushed him into it and he's, he, he I have was, no earthly idea he why. was the
0: first golf course ever architect ever to be politically correct
1: that's right that's right and we're gonna be speaking one, <laughs> be one shortly I can guarantee it right that's so fantastic I have one last question for you and, and again um, based on a quote uh, by Perry Maxwell so Perry Maxwell was an artist his lasting words on uh, Prairie Dunes is it is the nicest campus I have ever painted a picture if you could paint a picture of Prairie Dunes in your words So everybody else who's listening, everybody who's watching, could really understand what it's like to play here. How would you describe, how would you paint a picture with words in the greatness of this course? Tough ask.
0: Nothing like it in this part of the world, although there are more and more golf courses being built similar to it. Amazing undulations in the fairways amazing undulations in the greens and particularly at the higher green speeds that are common today putting on these greens is an incredible challenge hard to get the ball in play it has all of the reasons in the world to make you think this would be frustrating to play but instead it's just the greatest experience that you can have on a golf course I got goosebumps there.
2: Well, and I would I would say I'm looking at a picture here on the wall of the fall conditions where the, yeah. the grasses have changed color and the green in the fairway and the greens is just as bright green as you can get. And the contrast of the prairie grass without trees, the different stages of that grass and the colors of that grass, it's just, you talk about a painting, it's just gorgeous. It so really is. For the non-sophisticated golfer, it's the beauty of the course and the experience of being outside with your friends. Yeah. Prairie
1: Dunes. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us on the show. I mean, it's really been a treat obviously to play here, uh, but to spend time with you guys and talk about this amazing course. Thank you. You've just listened to the history of Prairie Dunes. I hope you could hear Rusty and Jim's love for their beloved course and my jealousy that they get to call this course their home. And maybe even Von Halliard talking from behind the camera It's impossible to describe the beauty of prairie dunes in words, but I will give it a shot. Here amongst the rolling sand dunes of Kansas sits a course that is both a testament to both Mother Nature and man. Work started on prairie dunes one million years before Perry Maxwell showed up on this site, when the last glacial period of the United States eroded sand and sediment off the Rocky Mountains and pushed it east to what is known as the Hutchinson Dunes. It was here that Perry Maxwell found a property that reminded him of the ground conditions that mimic some of the great golf courses of the United Kingdom. It was here that he laid out the course that would one day define him. Prairie Dunes is one of the purest expressions of our game in America. Though the oceans lie thousands of miles away, It speaks to the truths of our Scottish game. The ground speaks to you just as that mysterious voice coming from the corn and field of dreams. And like the movie, the course was designed to celebrate the past. But what you find coming down that 18th fairway is that it has found a way to make a better you. Yours in golf history, this is Connor T. Lewis.